Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here this morning. Um, Chelsea told me that I was dressed up this morning, too, by the way. Okay, She said, you're teaching today, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, how'd you know? She goes, you're dressed up. And I was like, really? So that uh, kind of makes me feel like when I'm not teaching, maybe I come in here looking like Fetterman or Rand Paul with his robe on yesterday at the steps in Washington. You see that? It's like, man, how bad do I look, Chelsea, when I'm not teaching here? So anyway, but we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we began a new series called Highlight Reel, where we're looking at the life of King David, just some snapshots, some highlights of his life, good or bad, and then trying to apply some principles that we learned from his life to ours today. Okay, so uh, last week, We started off with Samuel, and this week we're going to talk about a story that probably all of you are familiar with, but hopefully get some new insights and some some things we can take home with us that you can apply to your life starting tomorrow morning, okay? So let's jump right in. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17 today, but we'll get there in just a few moments. His dad said, son, I want you to take this care package to your brothers. And David gladly obeyed his father's orders. He had three older brothers on the battlefield, and and, and he was just kind of intrigued by the military. He loved kind of what was going on there. Because a Jewish man wasn't eligible for the army until he was 20 years old. And David, at this point in his life, was only a teenager. But he was glad for the opportunity just to kind of take a break from taking care of the sheep and and get a close-up look at the action that was taking place on the front lines of the battlefield. And so he made his way to the Valley of Elah where the Israeli troops were preparing for this big showdown with the despised Philistine army. And David, guys, he had no idea when he woke up that morning, no idea that what was going to take place this day would be added to the highlight reel of his life. And it would propel him into the national spotlight, making him a legend for all of history. Now, like I said, you and I know the story of David and Goliath, but I don't think David woke up that morning thinking that, hey, I'm going to be a hero today. He didn't feel any different as he carried that bag of sandwiches down to his brothers. But from this day forward, make no mistake about it, his life would never, ever be the same again. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be today, and not only is this an exciting story to read about historically, but it also contains six important lessons um, that I want to share with you this morning that apply to our lives today. Lessons that we can learn about how to confront the giants that we face with courage. And you know, not many of us face giants all the time, but we all face giants on occasion, don't we? And when that day comes for you, It will be added to the highlight reel of your life, whether you faced it with courage or as a coward, with faith or with fear, with being prepared or with procrastination. So let's jump right in in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 17. The scriptures say, so David left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. So picture this in your head, kind of what's taking place here. 
And these events, as David saw them, you know, real life here, they captivated him. It was real life drama. And I think David was just fascinated with the intensity, with the thrill, just, just the battle for life and death that took place on that battlefield. Look at verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Now listen, earlier in this chapter, we learned that Goliath was an enormous man. You know, the Guinness Book of World Records that records the tallest man to ever live was Robert Wadlow from out in Illinois who died in 1940. It says he was 8 feet 11 inches tall. Goliath is described in 1 Samuel 17, 4 as over 9 feet tall. That's amazing. So picture that. That's 2 feet taller than NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal, you know. And Goliath was not just tall and lanky. He was an intimidating warrior. I mean, he wore this bronze helmet, a 200-pound coat of armor, bronze leggings, and he carried around a huge bronze javelin, several inches thick, and it had a 25-pound iron spearhead tip on the end of it. I mean, he, he appeared invincible when you looked at him. I mean, the Chicago Bears would love to have a linebacker that looked like this. Well, in fact, I think he did play for the Bears. I got a picture. Take a look at this. Yeah, that's Goliath Trubisky, okay? Goliath Trubisky there. So it's kind of looked like, well, not really, okay? Opposite of that, all right? Look at verse 9. Is he even in here? Oh, how in the world can you use that when he's not in here? All right, my bad. Verse 9, let's continue. <clears throat> Goliath stood and shouted a ton across the, to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Sounds like where pro wrestling began right there, right? All that trash talk. But Goliath was, was deliberately trying to intimidate. And this went on twice a day for 40 days. Israel was just being humiliated by this monster. And remember, we learned last week that Saul was a head taller than all of his peers. Seemed like he should have been the one to go fight Goliath. Uh uh, not Saul. He wasn't about to take on Goliath. He was too valuable. You know, he was the king. He wasn't going to do that. And so he desperately tried to recruit somebody to go fight Goliath. And so what he did was he added some incentive by telling the soldiers that if anyone would defeat Goliath, they could take one of his daughters as their wife. And not only that, but that the winner would be exempt from paying taxes. Okay? But there were no takers. Look at verse 24. It says, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? I mean, he comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. 
They were all terrified, scared to death, including David's brothers. Now listen, let's be realistic. You and I are probably never, ever going to meet a nine-foot-tall giant. But we all face giants in our lives that will threaten and try to intimidate us. I mean, right now, you may be struggling with with issues so big that you feel like you're never, ever going to be able to overcome them. There's a debt that you feel like you're never, ever going to be able to repay. A disease that there's no cure for. An addiction that you're struggling to overcome. A disability that you can't erase. And they are giant problems in your life. Or your giant may be people that are so influential that they intimidate you. An intimidating boss, a pessimistic professor, a controlling mother-in-law, even a defiant child may tear your nerves all to pieces and put you on edge. Or maybe for you, you're, you're facing giant opportunities, good things, dreams and challenges or promotions, and they seem so big that you run from it. Well, I think about my friend and neighbor, Bill Simpson. We were talking this week. That guy has written three songs that have been recorded by professional musicians and singers. You know, I wrote a song back in college, but I never would dare send that sucker in to be laughed at, you know. And he's written a book that was published. Well, I've written a manuscript of a book back in the day, but I would never, ever send that in to be laughed at. I admire those who have the courage to do so. I think God honors courage to take on giant opportunities. And like David, we all have people who discourage us from challenging those giants. Look at it in verse 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who who is this pagan Philistine anyway? that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yeah, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. I mean, you read that and you think, good night. What's, what's wrong with Eliab, right? Who peed in his Cheerios? I mean, what a, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? But remember, he was the oldest. He was the one that Samuel was so impressed with, we learned last week, when looking for a new king because of his physical appearance. Remember that? It's kind of like maybe for you teenagers when your dad asks you to mow the grass and you keep putting it off and putting it off until finally it's up to your shins and your knees and And, you know, your dad keeps dropping subtle hints, you need to get it done, and and you feel guilty because you really have been busy, and then your little brother walks in, okay, little brat here walks in and says, yeah, look at that hay field out in the front yard, wonder when that rainforest is ever going to get mowed, you know, and you're like, shut up, you little punk, and uh, you're just trying to make me look bad, you know, to dad. Well, that's probably the way that Eliab felt. I mean, for 40 days, he'd listen to Goliath taunt them and ridicule their God. And here comes along little brother, and he says, why are you guys letting him talk to you like that? I mean, come on. Why are you letting him talk about our God like this? And so Eliab gets really sarcastic with David. And he said, what are you doing here? 
always trying to stir up trouble. I mean, who's taking care of that little flock of sheep you got over there? You're so cocky and arrogant. You just want to see some action up close. David, you don't even care if somebody gets hurt or killed. You don't even care. It's all about you, always has been. You know, if you even entertain the thought of taking on a giant, there will be times where people you think would be supportive of you make criticizing comments and they take jabs at you. They'll question your motives. They will accuse you of being arrogant, you know. Do you really think you're smart enough to get your doctorate? I mean, come on. You think you're better than everyone else, don't you? What a huge ego you must have. And sometimes those discouraging words come from our own family, don't they? You remember when Job tried to take on the giant of grief, still holding on to his faith in God after all that had been taken from him? You remember that? And his cynical wife said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Goodness, what a discouraging wife, right? But David had thick skin. I mean, you would have to be tough when the youngest of eight brothers, right? And so he responded in verse 29 when he said this. What have I done now? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing, and he received the same answer. And then David's question was reported to the king to King Saul, and then the king sent for him. Because remember, Saul was looking for anybody to take on this giant. But Saul gave David some discouraging words as well in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. I mean, look at you. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. You know, you and I, sometimes we will get advice from people who are more experienced than us that can be discouraging, can it? I remember I was a senior in college about to graduate, and I was out in the driveway talking to my dad about where I would get a job and, and what county I would live in and what church I would get plugged into and all that. And, and at the time, he had just lost an election for county judge, and he was pretty discouraged because he felt like people he thought were his friends ended up turning on him. And he told me to get as far away from here as I could go. Okay, you need to go and don't come back. But I knew down deep that God wanted me to come back home and minister. And you know, good experience, close people will sometimes discourage you from challenging a giant, and they'll say things to you like, well, you know, if you move away, you'll always be homesick, or uh, you shouldn't challenge that professor. You know, they're smarter than you are. Just sit there in class and be quiet. Or don't take that promotion. You know, that's, that's way too much pressure. And guys, that's why it's important that you and I get advice from people who are walking in the center of God's will. David would later write in Psalm 1, starting in verse 1, he would later write, Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But what do they do? They delight in the law of the Lord. They think about it. They meditate on it day and night. Guys, David was so in touch with God that he wasn't even discouraged by the comments of a king. He just kept trucking along on mission, on point. Look at verse 34. But David persisted. 
I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. I mean, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I just go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And then if that animal turns on me, well, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death, he said. Now remember, back when Saul anointed David, the scriptures say that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. And so he was fearless in battle because he had experienced the Lord's power in frightening situations before. Victories out there in the pasture, in private. Guys, those things prepared David for success in the public arena. Look at verse 36. He said, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, he will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul finally consents. He says, all right, go ahead. And may, be, may the Lord be with you. And then I think Saul got to thinking, okay, I don't know about that. He's going to need more than the Lord. Okay? And so Saul tries to persuade David to fight wearing the king's armor. And because Saul knew he wasn't going to be using it, coward, right? Verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. That's just a breastplate. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. And he said, I can't go in these. He protested, I'm not used to them. And so David took them off again. <laughs> Try to picture this in your mind's eye. Okay, think of it like a, have you ever seen like a little peewee football player come out of in his equipment for the very first time, a little kid, you know, shoulder pad just wobbling around on his shoulders and that helmet down on his eye, just bumping his nose, you know, up and down. I mean, it's dangerous to go into battle like that, you know. I mean, here's David in Saul's armor and Saul is six foot six. You know, size 3XL, you know, and here David is, he's about 5'9", size schmedium, you know, extra medium, and it doesn't fit. He couldn't move, and so he took it off. You know, when we're thinking about taking on giants in our lives, there will be people who mean well, but they say things like, listen, if you're going to tackle that issue, you better fight the way the world fights. You've got to be ugly sometimes. You've got to say some hurtful things at times. You need to put some people in their place, right? You heard that? Things like, you'd, you'd better include a little extra on that expense report so you'll have some wiggle room, you know, a little extra cash to keep. Or maybe, don't even try to pay that debt back. Just declare bankruptcy. It's much easier like that. Or maybe you need to accept the fact that your marriage is over. You need to go file for divorce and get him for all you can take. Or maybe, look, if you're going to play in that arena, you've got to be a little shady. That's just the way the game is played. But guys, listen to me. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. We play by a different set of rules. We wage war with God's weapons. And guys, David didn't need Saul's equipment. The only thing David needed was God's power. That's what he needed. Same for you and I. 
And you know, the most important lesson in this story today is that we have a God who can empower us, can give us that kind of power. And so in our remaining time, I just want to give you six lessons from this passage about how God strengthens us when you and I are facing giants in our own lives, okay? Six things that God will empower us to when we're facing giants. And the first one is this. Make sure you have the right motive. Make sure that we have the right motive. You know, David asked twice about the reward for the person who, who kills the giant. And so he was somewhat interested in the pretty girl and the financial benefit. But his main concern was the name of God. It was being ridiculed and defiled, he said. His primary motive was standing up for God. Now, if you don't believe that, and you're sitting there going, yeah, I, I bet it was the reward. I bet it was the pretty girl. You know, Listen, if, if you don't believe that, if you doubt, then you should read through the book of Psalms, most of which are written by David. 150 of them. And see how many times that David mentions about that battle with Goliath. You know how many times he mentions it afterwards? Seeking praise? Zero. Not one time does he mention it. Why not? Because he wasn't in it for himself. He wasn't in it for himself. I mean, if that were me after I'd beaten that big giant and I was writing the Psalms, I guarantee you I'd work it in there about every other chapter. I'd be like, you know, this reminds me of the time when I fought Goliath. This also reminds me of that time that I beat that giant. You know, I'd be talking about it left and right. But David, not him, nope, he never mentions it. He just talks about the power of God. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking about taking on a giant, question your motives. Ask yourself why. Just examine them. I mean, just ask yourself questions like, am I chasing after fame and fortune? I mean, am I trying to stroke my ego? Guys, if so, then don't expect God's power to be with you. But if your motive is to honor God as David's was, to help other people, if your motive is to lift up the name of Jesus, then listen to me, you can rely on his strength. He will empower you. He will fight the battle for you. Look at 1 Chronicles 28.9. David was talking to his son or to Solomon, and he said this. His son Solomon, he said, Solomon, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart, and he knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And so, guys, let's examine our motives. The scriptures say in Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. No, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Second lesson is this. Put your confidence in God and not in yourself. Let's put our confidence in God and not in ourselves. When Saul said, this is ridiculous. I mean, how can a kid like you fight a man like that? David said, the Lord saved me from the lion and the bear, and the Lord will save me from this Philistine. David had a holy boldness because of a humble confidence that he had in the Lord. He just didn't have faith in himself. This wasn't just self-confidence. No, he had faith in God. 
And he would later write in Psalm 121, verse 2, he says, My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. That's where my help comes from. You know, it's, it's been said to be a good actor, one needs to be humble enough to prepare and confident enough to perform. Well, David had that balance. He, he was humble enough to prepare for giants when he was taking care of the sheep. He was faithful in the little things. And when the time came for him to perform in the public arena, he had confidence in God, partly because he remembered all of those victories he'd had out in the pasture. And you know, guys, so many times we focus on the defeats that you and I have had in the past, don't we? We think about the time that that we felt like God kind of let us down, when he didn't answer our prayer the way that we thought he should have. Or maybe we gave money to the church and our bills went up rather than down. Or maybe we shared our faith in in front of a group of people and nobody responded. But you know, so much of our confidence in Jesus is simply in right thinking. In in developing a positive memory. And just remembering how many times that God has given you and I strength in the past. You know, if a golfer is getting ready to attempt a three-foot putt, and they're standing over that, that putt, that golf ball, standing there thinking about the last time that they missed that putt, the chances are more likely that they're going to miss it again than if they're standing there thinking, you know what, I've, I've hit this putt 15 times in a row in practice, on the practice screen. This is a piece of cake. I got this. Much more likely to hit it if that's their mindset. And you and I, We need to to spiritually train our minds to remember the times that God has helped us win victories in our lives. The scriptures say in Philippians 4 verse 8 that we need to fix our thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. It says think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 1 John 5 4 For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith, the Bible says. Philippians 4.13, many of you are familiar with this verse. For I can do everything, how? Through Christ, who gives me the strength. And so what did David do? He put his confidence in God. Listen, all the other soldiers were saying, he's so big, we can't beat him. And David was saying, he's so big, I can't miss him. I can't miss him. Third lesson is this. Stay with your strengths. Stay with your strengths. David threw off all that armor, all that baggage. Okay? And verse 40, it says he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them in his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started and made his way across the valley to fight the Philistine. He didn't take his brother's bow and arrow or Saul's sword. Nope, he was good with a slingshot. He had practiced for hours out while he was watching sheep. I mean, he, he, could, he could probably sling that rock and knock a grasshopper off a stump 50 yards away. He'd practiced so much. He, he, that was his strong point. Stay with your strengths. You know, some preachers who normally type out their sermons Sometimes they go to larger churches or conferences and, and they try to change their, you know, go away from their strengths and try not to use any notes because they're afraid maybe that the audience won't accept them or that they're not any good. And so they change their style altogether 
And when they do, their thoughts are scattered. They ramble on and on. They're long on time, short on content. And you got some other preachers who normally use just an outline. They'll go to these larger churches or these big conferences. And for the same fearful reason, they top out their sermons word for word, try to read them verbatim, and their presentation just bombs because they seem stoic and not themselves. And the audience will say, you know what, I've heard them preach back at their home church. They're, They're usually a lot better than that. I wonder what happened. The preacher would have been better off just staying with his strength. Some young men are so intimidated by a pretty girl that that they want to ask them out that their entire personality changes when they're around her. They try to be funny when they're not. They they try to be athletic when they're not. You know, and the girl just sits there, shakes her head going, seems pretty phony to me. I've seen coaches who get into a big game and they get so nervous that right at the last minute they change their lineup or their game plan to to counter the opposing team's strengths and everything is disrupted, the team's disoriented, and they don't perform well. The coach should have just stayed with what got them there. Listen, giant killers don't try to be someone else. They just simply stay with their strengths. Fourth lesson is this. Verbally give honor to God. Verbally give honor to God. Verse 43. Am I a dog, he roared to David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Goliath was the original trash talker, you know. David talked back, but it it wasn't trash. He talked to him about God. I want you to notice in the next three verses how many times that David, talking to Goliath here, just about to fight him, how many times that he mentions God. Verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of of, the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. Nope, this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. I counted six times. In those three verses that David said, now this is the Lord's battle. God will be the one to deliver. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven. So maybe for you, it's you're sitting in college class and your professor ridicules you for believing in creation. And you don't have to have all the answers, but it is good to affirm your belief and speak up and just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I do believe the Bible. I believe it is the Word of God, even though I can't fully explain it all. Maybe your doctor says to you, you, you've just got to accept the inevitable. I mean, this is inoperable. And you can say, well, Doc, I believe that there is a God in heaven who answers prayer, and I'm just going to simply put my trust in him. Or your enemy, Satan, the most intimidating giant that we face, He says, did God really say that those things were wrong that culture is approving of? I mean, did did he really say that? We need to respond, yes, he did, and I am with God. 
Guys, there is tremendous power in just verbalizing our faith to other people. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. But listen, it's going to require courage. And please hear me. Courage is not the absence of fear like many people think it is. Courage is action in spite of fear. It's even though I am afraid, I am feeling some fear, I'm going to take action and trust in the Lord. And guys, while we may feel the urge to try something spectacular to demonstrate courage, it's, it's better just to stay with the basics, to just speak the truth in love. You know, one giant that you and I, that everybody in this room will face is the giant of death. And unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to face that giant. And for those of us who, who, who don't believe, or for those people who don't believe, we need to say publicly that we believe with all of our hearts that there is life after death. That, that's not wishful thinking, but it has been proven that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day he rose, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never perish. And if you don't know Jesus, you can have this same hope of eternal life that I have. We need to say those things. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to this hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to do what? To keep his promises that he's made us. Fifth lesson is this. Move toward the giant rather than running from it. Move toward it rather than running, running from it. Guys, there is a temptation when facing this kind of intimidation to run away, to hide, and stalk the giant. You know, it's kind of looking tirelessly for a point of vulnerability. But usually, not always, but usually the best response is to attack quickly. If you have to swallow an awful tasting medicine, don't look at it or smell it very long. Just do it real quick, right? like Robitussin, it's disgusting, but just do it quick. If there is something unpleasant in your life, resolve the situation quickly. Don't stand around and analyze it. Confront it as soon as possible, because sometimes the longer that we wait, the bigger that giant appears, and the more afraid that you and I will get. So maybe you have a dreaded phone call that you need to make, okay? Do it early in the morning so it doesn't ruin your entire day. If you've got a difficult paper to write, students, listen, begin early in the semester instead of having it hanging over your head all year long. If you've got a Christian friend who's fallen away, listen, they're out there living in sin and you know that you need to confront them in love, do it quickly. Confront that giant and you'll feel much better than when you run and you hide and you make excuses for delaying. Psalm 119 verse 60 says, I will hurry without delay to do what? Obey your commands. Last one's this. Finish the job, complete the task. Finish the job, complete the task. Verse 49. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. You know, some major league baseball players, they can throw a baseball 100 miles per hour. But whipping that sling around overhead, you know, most likely that stone would, would go even faster than that. And Goliath, with all that armor on, he had just one point of weakness, 
One point of vulnerability, and that was his forehead. And the Bible says the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled, and he fell face down on the ground. And you know, if you've heard this story in church before, or Sunday school, or whatever, that, that's usually kind of where we end the story. But I want to read verse 51 and see how David finishes the job. It says, Then David ran over, and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. And guys, the Israeli army saw that their hero was a new young man who they'd never met before, a guy named David. And then they chased after the Philistines, and they they won a great battle that day. David had this killer instinct, but he didn't quit until the job was finished. And guys, it takes courage to do what he did. It takes courage to take on giants. But it also, listen, takes courage to finish the task. Listen, if you're facing a mountain of debt, don't quit until that last bill is paid, until you're not paying any more interest. If you are pursuing a degree, keep at it until you have that diploma in your hand. If you're trying to conquer an addiction, don't quit just because you've been clean for six months now. No, no, you've just begun. Finish the task. Be faithful until death. David wrote in Psalm 27, starting in verse 1, he said this. The Lord is my light and he's my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes, they attack me, they'll stumble and fall. He said, though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will still remain confident. He said, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. You know, I I pray for my family every day, and I pray for you for the people that make up Three Strands Church often. I pray that God would give us all wisdom. But I also pray to have the courage to always do the right thing. Guys, listen, because so many times, you know, doing the right thing is is not a matter of wisdom. I mean, most of us in the room, we know right from wrong. But doing it, doing the right thing, simply is a matter of of courage. And so my prayer for you this morning as we close is that when those moments come in your life that are going to make up the highlight reel, when, you, when, you're, when you're an old man or an old woman, you look back at the highlight reel of your life, these moments that are going to make up that highlight reel, when you are facing a giant, my prayer for you this morning is that you will have the courage to do the right thing. Let me read First John 5-4, just one more time as we close. For every child, every one of you who is a child of God, for every child of God defeats this evil world. 
And we achieve this faith, or achieve this victory through our faith. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.